0: Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. Verse 11 and 12 are our target verses. Hall of Fame of Faith. If you're good at what you do, really good, you get into the Hall of Fame. Amen. These guys were good at exercising faith when the odds were stacked against them, when There was no example of what they should be able to hope for. Noah built an ark and God told him about floods and he didn't understand any of it, but he did it by faith because he respected God, because he honored God, because he took God at his word. Father, we just thank you for Hebrews and chapter 11 as we've studied our way through this book and taken the time just to enjoy each one of these that are here tonight because none of them are in chapter 11 by accident. They're here on purpose and each one has a life lesson for us, so we want to learn tonight what it is that got them there and how their faith was pleasing to you and has, how it produced fruit. We just thank you for Hebrews chapter 11. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd open up our hearts tonight, you'd open up our minds, and you'd drive these principles deep into our souls that they would never leave us. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen. Well, listen to... I'll start in verse 8, Hebrews eleven eight. 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed God by going to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Boy, that's a lot of us on the roads out there today. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as a foreigner dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, 11, our target, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man, and of him as good as dead, At that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Those are our two verses tonight. We're going to talk about Sarah. Sarah is the wife of Abraham, the patriarch, the father of the Jewish nation, the father of faith. Uh, Every godly man that's blessed has a godly wife. Amen. Sarah played a huge part in the formation of the nation of Israel. God could have raised up all the men he wanted, but he needed somebody to carry those babies in the belly, amen? Somebody had a birth Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so uh, the great women of the Bible always played a part in God's plan. Now, Sarah was only is only one of two women who are mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Uh, Sarah is mentioned, and we're going to talk about her and what her name means tonight, but the second woman that's mentioned is Rahab, and she happened to be a prostitute. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, but uh, two women mentioned. One is a very special lady. We're going to find out her, her name means something that all ladies would like to be called. And uh, then Rahab, uh, you might look at that as the other end of the spectrum, but God can use anyone who has the heart to serve him faithfully, man. Uh, Sarah is... Like everyone mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith, now, we should never put these people on a pedestal. We should never idolize them. We should never make them larger than life, amen? That's what we like to do with our leaders, with our heroes. We like to, we like to put them up there and make them like they're superhuman. They're, you know, they're, they're or some crazy stuff the world, you know, thinks they want to put people up and make idols out of them. I just hated that title of that show, American Idol, you know, really are are we that dull that we're going to sit there and celebrate idols with the world? I know it's entertaining, but I'm just thinking what a what a bad name for a show, but an accurate one. Right? Accurate. The world has its idols. We don't do that. Even with those in the Hall of Fame of Faith, we don't put them on a pedestal. Sarah, like everyone mentioned in this chapter, wasn't perfect. Her faith wasn't perfect. Her performance wasn't perfect. Now, I'm not just picking on her. I'm saying all of them. They they weren't perfect. So let's not make them perfect. Let's learn what God does with imperfect people. She struggled uh, with many hardships, with doubt, with unbelief at moments. She faced huge obstacles beyond her control. Did you ever face an obstacle that, I mean, there's some obstacles that we create for ourselves and, you know, if I need to get my body in shape, I know what to do. I might not want to do it, but I know what to do. I know, I mean, nobody stuffs things in my mouth. Anybody? Yeah, my wife held me down and she spatulated three servings of lasagna right down my, no. No. There are some obstacles where, hey, I know what to do. This woman faced obstacles where she had no, I mean, we're going to look at her barrenness and just thinking, that how could she control that? Big mountains, big obstacles, things that demanded faith. She struggled at moments. She waited anxiously for God to bring the promise through her, yet the wait was excruciatingly long. Anyone ever, you know, anyone ever wait a little longer than they wanted to? I find out God knows just how long we want to wait, and then he moves the line back, and he goes, between there and there, that's where you come to the end, Rick, and that's where I begin. Nobody like that. But it's excruciating to wait. I've waited for promises for decades, and so have some of you. We take the Lord's word, and we stand on it, and we believe for it. But it doesn't happen instantaneously many times, and that wait can be excruciating. Sarah's wait was long. She held on to the promises of God, she stood on the word of God. She suffered uh, setbacks and, and, and missteps, and even times of doubt and unbelief, but she held on until what God said came to pass in her life. And in many ways, that's the most powerful thing we can learn from her and all the rest here. Hold on until, you say, Pastor, until when? Until God brings his word to pass. Well, it's too long. Well, the other only option is quitting, and quitting takes you right out of the blessing. You know, there's no quitters in the Hall of Fame of Faith. There is a lot of people who God promised stuff that probably quit and said, no, nah, not me, God, I'm not, I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to just, no, pick somebody else, and God did. And they're not in here sobering, isn't it? We want to think we all get a trophy because we're, we're from the all get a trophy generation. You know, on judgment day, not everybody's going to get a trophy. Whether it's the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne, nobody's getting a trophy there. So here are some basic facts about Sarah, and I want to go over some of them with you. We said she's one of the two women in the Hall of Fame of Faith, but here's an interesting fact. Sarah is the second woman mentioned in the Bible right after Eve. Just respond a little bit, go, ooh. Yeah, that was nice. Let's try that again. Sarah was the second woman mentioned in the Bible after Eve. I like that. Keep that up. Sarah was first named Sarai, or how how do you say that? Is that, is that my saying right? Say it again. Oh, that was nice. Let You come up here and say it. No, I'm just... Sarai. She was first named Sarai, then God told Abraham to call her Sarah. Both names, interestingly enough, have a similar translation, and uh, both mean princess or my lady or noble woman. Come on, ladies. Let's just be honest. How many of you would like to be referred to as princess? Ooh. Right? I mean, most little girls like the princess thing, you know, and this... This woman is named, noble woman, fair lady, my lady, princess. What a, what a beautiful name. Both uh, translations of Sarah and Sarai uh, have similar meanings. Um, I find it both interesting and encouraging that we had talked about the two ladies mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith. One was a princess and the other was a prostitute. You don't know how to react to that, do you? <laughs> so you're like sitting there. <laughs> right? Right? What does that say to us? That says God can use anybody, that our past, that our actions, that our flaws, that our station in life doesn't disqualify us. That's encouraging to me. Amen? And and you look at stuff like that, and you're like, wow. Man, God God is really what he says, no respecter of persons. And that should be really encouraging to us from princess to prostitute, God can use anyone. He can use a thief. He can use a murderer like Moses. He can use an adulterer like David. And he uses imperfect people. That's why it's hilarious to me when I hear people pointing out flaws in others and saying, that's why this person is disqualified. They can't be used. Oh, you can't. You can't be a pastor. You did that. You can't be the president. You did that. You said this 20 years ago. You did that 30 years ago. And I listened to all the people who judge and say, you're disqualified. And I know them. And they've had babies out of wedlock. They've committed adultery. They've done all kinds of sin. But all of a sudden, they're throwing rocks. It's enough to make a pastor lose his hair. Let's not forget we're all sinners saved by grace. Nobody's up on a pedestal. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're saved by grace. God disqualifies nobody by their past or by their station in life or by their flaws and their failures. Sarah is an amazing lady. She has God's favor. Uh, He gives her that name princess, but whether she was a princess or not, she was imperfect and it was his grace that allowed her to express her faith in a way that was pleasing to God. God can use any of us uh, number three, third thing about Sarah, some basic facts. God promised Abraham children, and they would come through Sarah. It, it was through his wife, Sarah, that the nation of Israel would come. Now, we're going to see they took some shortcuts and, and and side roads, but God was not in that. The only problem uh, with Sarah is that she was barren and couldn't conceive. Now, you, you ever think, God, why do you call me to do something, and then right away there's an obstacle in front of me that prevents me from doing it. You know, just honestly, sometimes I see the way God does things, and as I'm studying, as I'm pulling the text apart, and I see what he's doing. I mean, I've been studying and preaching for, since I was 14 years old, and sometimes the way God does stuff still gives me a headache. Just, I mean, you never get used to it like, oh, yeah, God, that was, a, that was a good way to do that. I like the way you made him wait 100 years for that one. I like the way Noah just built the ark and ark and built it, and he preached and preached, and no one got converted. That was really cool. Could you do that with me? I'd like to have a ministry with no conversions. Let me live to 100 for that one. Come on, let's just be honest. Our, our flesh, our human nature... Just, man, we want it now. God, God, you promised it to me on Tuesday. It's Wednesday. When's it coming? You're going to deliver it to Amazon? You're going to have a drone drop it off? How's it getting here? Nope. She's promised to be this mother who's going to give birth to a nation, the descendants of which are going to be too numerous to count, and she's barren and couldn't conceive. Sarah goes through many hardships, her barrenness was huge. Uh, you know, she's moving around constantly, living this nomadic life. We've said no, no lady likes that. She's suffering uh, because of her husband's lack of courage and faith. We're going to look at some of the things Abraham put her through. And one of the things that the Scripture says about Sarah is she is so beautiful that Abraham is literally afraid when people see her, they're going to kill him to take her. That's no, that's no exaggeration right there. In fact, we see a situation... Uh, In Genesis 12, where Abraham has to convince Sarah because she's so beautiful and he's nomadic, he's wandering through strange lands, and he sees the way the people are looking at her, he has to convince her to say that she's his sister. How many ladies would like that? No, don't raise your hand. They're traveling around and, you know, and he's like, you know, please just tell them you're my sister. You're so beautiful that they're going to kill me. They're going to take you for my own safety, please. You know, Abraham's fears are confirmed when Pharaoh catches, you know, a view of her and takes Sarah from Abraham and puts her into his own harem. And Abraham's going, bye, sister. (laughs) Sister Sarah. Sarah. You you know, if you know the rest of the story, the the Lord intervened there and Pharaoh realized that this was a married woman and he didn't touch her and, you know, he rebuked Abraham for doing what he did and gave his wife back to him and they kind of, you know, just scurried on down the road. But think about some of the things she'd been through. I mean, that's enough. First of all, if you've been through that, you would not be happy with your husband. You'd probably be on most of the talk shows and write a book. So sarah been through some stuff. She's beautiful, and it, it becomes, you know, it becomes something that's a danger um, to her husband, and uh, it, it not a benefit for her. You know, it's hard. It's hard being beautiful. It's hard. I'll just, I'll just tell you. Number five, in her barrenness, she grows anxious. and She's tired of waiting for God. She wants, you know, I'm, the child's supposed to come. We're getting older, we're getting past the point of childbearing. She becomes anxious in the promise. She doesn't wait. So she comes up with this idea for Abraham to have children by her servant, Hagar, and her stead, so Hagar, you standing for me? You know, you you have the children, and they'll be through me, and we'll help God out. You know, because God has uh, obviously forgot what He promised us, and He's not bringing it to pass, and it's getting too late. So, you know, we're gonna go with Plan B. Plan B is a huge mess. It creates Ishmael. God is not with Ishmael. Ishmael is not to be the one through which the promise comes through. Uh, it, it's a big, it's a big mess. And it's still a big mess to this day. If you study who the descendants of Ishmael are, they are the arch enemies of Israel, constantly afflicting them and opposing them, still to this very minute. In Genesis 18, Sarah has an angelic messenger that she is finally going to be pregnant. Apparently, she is past the uh, ages of childbearing. And the angel says, within a year, you're going to have a baby. Next time I come back, we're going to see him. And she laughs. And then she denies that she laughed, and everybody calls her on the fact that she laughed at an. I mean, it, you know, you have to be really worn out to laugh at an angel. You have to be really cynical. Anybody at that point, you know, I mean, basically, if an angel shows up, whatever he says, I'm going to be like, uh huh. <laughs> You're right. She laughs. You know, and a part of it could have been that she laughed because now, Lord, now you come through. Now, and I'm all, you know, I'm all old and I'm past the point. Now, and it's, you know, you got to be kidding me. It's one of those laughs. Did you ever just get so cynical and so worn out at life that you just laugh? Did you ever have one of those days where everything is going wrong? The devil is everywhere, two steps ahead of you, one shot after another, and you just have to laugh. (laughs) I have days like that. I'm like, man, you... You, you you just focusing on me today, huh? You got nobody else to bother, Mr. Devil. It's Rick Day. You guys are way too serious tonight. I'm going to leave. I'm going to come back in 10 minutes. You freshen up your attitude. No, I'm just kidding. That would be funny, wouldn't it? Should I just go into the green room? Mm. Yeah. So Sarah's got a lot... Going for her, a lot going against her. She laughs at the angel. At 90 years old, Isaac comes on the scene. The promise comes, 90. Any ladies want to have babies at 90? What's the max now in your 40s? 50. Help me out. All right. 90 years old. I, I, only see, I can't picture what it feels like to be 90 years old. But, you know, I would think you'd only want to see children for brief moments (laughs) and then send them back to their parents. You know, every 90-year-old that I've seen interact with a child is like, oh, you know, Hanana, oh, yeah, and that's it. Get out of here. It's 4.30. I got to go to bed. (laughs) Sarah's 90, and she gets her child a promise. By our estimation, God, you are late. 60 years Maybe but not by God's estimation. She lives to be 127 years old, and then she dies and is laid to rest. Now, Hebrews 11 and 12 give us the details about what impressed God about her faith. It tells us that she had this tenacious level of faith in the face of all these obstacles that I took the time to just highlight some of them but she had to just face these obstacles and the biggest one of all was her barrenness and she held on to her faith even through that to the point where, yeah, it was at 90 years old, but she still saw with her own eyes and birthed through her own body according to the word of God, the promised child of God. No, in this case, Abraham, whose name means father of many nations, was married to a barren woman and she felt the pressure of it you know, many times, you know, God will ask us to do things or impress things upon our heart or give us a call to ministry or a burden, and you know what? We feel the pressure of it because we don't feel like we have the skills, we have the ability, we have the people around us to help. You know you can't, you can't accomplish the will of God by yourself. Moses didn't go up on the hill and hold his own hands up. He needed people to hold up his hands. Oh, pastor! I wish the church would go. I wish you. I wish you'd preach better. I wish you know you'd get people saved. Hold up my hands. Amen. <laughs> Honestly, we don't need better pastors. We don't need better preachers. We don't need more people with slick deliveries. And you, you know, you see on the, all the churches online, they got these stages and sets and smoke and mirrors, and uh, you don't need that. What you need is people who are called and anointed and people to hold up their hands. There was nothing spectacular about Moses. But when his hands were held up, Israel won the battle and the enemy was defeated. So she has this big issue and she has this barrenness to deal with and she has this husband who's supposed to be the father you know, of many nations and supposed to have all these children and she has not produced one yet. Now listen. The stigma of barrenness in that days for women was brutal. Brutal. Barrenness was a huge issue. As shallow as it seems to us today in the modern era, a woman's worth back then was totally linked to her ability to produce children and especially male children. Now, whether we think that's ugly or wrong or not, it doesn't matter. That's the way it was. And that's the culture that Sarah was in. And this is the husband that she has, Mr. Father of Many Nations. And I'm barren. I mean, almost out of all the ones that I've done studies on thus far, this one, she impacts me the most. Because I just feel the despair and the anxiety and the frustration that she had to face. You know, I know Father Abraham, yeah, he's an awesome guy, but you know what? He had a pretty incredible wife too. And that's why God notices her and celebrates her. And, and he sees what she had to face. That barrenness was a huge thing. She, she, you know, she couldn't produce even that one child to start off with. The time was just ticking away. The text says it was by her faith that she eventually conceived. Now, that, that's pretty amazing all by itself that, you know, all, she couldn't do anything about her barrenness. But she had to conceive what? By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive. Wow. You say, well, how in the world does that happen? You see, faith moves mountains. Faith knocks giants down. Faith parts the Red Sea. Faith takes a barren womb and makes it fruitful, amen? See, we have too many other options these days besides faith. Oh, well, I'm having problems, so, you know, I can go to the doctor, and I can get fertility drugs, and they can do in vitro, and we can do this, and there's medical. And we, what do we do? I'm, I'm not against medical science, but it, it, sometimes faith is something that we go to last when we've exhausted every other option. She didn't have in vitro. She didn't have fertile, you know, any, any of these fertility, nothing. She had nothing but faith. She had to face that barrenness with no ability in her own strength to address it or to reverse it and totally rely on God to keep his word. And she did. And it was by her faith that she eventually conceived. I want to say something to you tonight. Faith is the weapon we bring to bear against the things that are beyond our control. Faith is the weapon that we bring to bear against the things that are impossible. Well, it's impossible in the natural. It's impossible in the physiological realm. It's impossible for 90 year olds to have babies. Nothing is impossible with God. Faith is a weapon, and we bring it to bear against the impossible. Are you facing impossible things tonight? Oh, it's impossible for for this situation to revert. It's impossible for my marriage to be put back together. It's impossible for my finances to ever be good. Listen to me. Release your faith against the impossible. God loves to take the impossible and make it happen in in a way that he gets the glory. Amen? She had no recourse but faith, and so (laughs) she used her faith, and her faith produced you know, and I'm sure that, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us all the she went through, but think about, you know, all the people around her who had had babies, they must have, everyone had advice for her, right? Oh, well, you know, all the suggestions, all the, you know, all the, the wives' tales of the day, you know, stand on your head, eat garlic, rub these herbs on your belly, wait for a full moon. Could you imagine what they told her? Use your imagination once in a while. It's fun. See, when we were kids, we could imagine stuff, right? Some of you are now looking at me like, think, think put yourself in there. What, what would the people in the community, what would, what would they say? Well, she heard it all, but none of it worked. What worked was her faith. Faith eventually pays off for her, but I want you to notice something. Before the faith did pay off for her, she had been stripped down to nothing. Nobody likes that idea do we? There are some things that by the time I obtained them, promises, things, by the time I obtained them and what I went through to get them, by the time they came, I was just like, yippee. (laughs) Can I just be honest? Thanks, God. You see, what I've learned is that through the whole thing, I should have been focusing on him, not on the thing that I was hoping for to come. Because when it came, it was great, but it wasn't as great as him. So whatever you're going through, whatever you're waiting for, whatever you're hoping for, whatever faith is being expressed in you tenaciously, focus on God and hope in him and enjoy him along the way. She was stripped down to nothing by the time it came. She was out of ideas. She had tried the Ishmael routine. She was humiliated. She was disappointed. And finally, she realized, I'm just going to wait on God and let's see what happens and all throughout those years those decades it seemed dormant but god did not forget his promise to her and even though she was 90 when he brought it to pass he kept his word and he got all the glory and she got to see she got to see the journey and express faith and to hold on and god honors her and rewards her for that so she was stripped she was out of ideas she was disappointed she had waited for decades. Now, let me ask all of us a question tonight. How long are we willing to stand in faith for what God promised us? How long? I mean, you know, well, you know, God, it's been, it's been 10 years. It's been 20 years. How, how long are we willing to wait? How long are we willing to pray before we give up? Now, let's not be so super spiritual to act like we don't give up in prayer. I've been praying for this person for, you know, for 10 years. What if it takes... Forty. How long are we willing to stand in faith? If God said it, and we we know it was from God, as long as we're drawn breath, we have to maintain our faith. But some of us have made premeditated uh, breaking points where we're saying, I'll wait this long, but that's it. Thank God Sarah didn't do that. And in some ways, you know, the Ishmael thing we're going to talk about, what was one of those breaks? But when that didn't work and she saw the folly of it and what it produced, she she put her faith back in God and began to wait again. You know, detours don't disqualify us. Somebody needs to hear that tonight. Your detour did not disqualify you. Did you stone Christians? Did you murder Christians? No, God still used Paul. Rahab the harlot's not here tonight, is she? Go and sin no more. God can use you. Mm. How long are we willing to wait? Do we have premeditated breaking points where we're saying, you know, I'm drawing a line in the sand and this is how far I'll go. I'm not waiting any longer after this. I'm going to try and make it happen myself. We preemptively decide this is as far as I'll go. Some people preemptively decide, God, if you don't do it this way and in this time period, then I'm not going to, I'm just, I quit. Don't quit. Quitters didn't make it into the hall of fame of faith. If God said you and your whole household will be saved, I don't care what that child of yours is acting like, you have faith to believe the word of God. Stand on the word of God and say, me and my whole household are going to be saved and begin to speak differently, begin to speak different words over them and begin to prophesy to them and storm the gates of heaven and call their name before the throne of grace. You say, when? Until. Because god's word will come to pass if we possess it by faith now the last half of verse 11 b uh, shows us that while sarah had all these obstacles and you know she she had to deal with certain things we also see that uh, uh god did it in a way that he got all the glory for it and th- we, we need to understand this this is what god's after the, the latter half of verse 11 even beyond the proper time of life what is that saying Beyond the point of childbearing, 90-year-olds don't have babies, right? Uh, this shows us what God was up to all along in Sarah's life, why she went through this whole ordeal, why she had to come to the end of herself and the end of her own ideas, and that she had to wait till it was impossible for her to have a baby in the natural. 90-year-old ladies don't have babies. Somebody's going to come up with an article. This person, you She was beautiful. She was a princess. Even really good-looking 90-year-old ladies don't have babies. But with God, nothing is impossible. The conception of Isaac, who would father Jacob, who Jacob would have 12 sons, and they would become the Jewish nation. You see the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the way God had planned it out had to be a miracle. The the whole lineage here had to be miraculous. Why? Because if the Jewish nation was born by man's ability, man would get the glory for it. But God worked it so that it was by a miracle that this Isaac was born, and then Jacob and Esau, and we know how that went, And, and Jacob and 12 sons, and Joseph goes to... I mean, it's miraculous what God does to birth the nation of Israel. And that's by design so man couldn't get the glory for it. Sarah had to wait till she was 90, so man couldn't get the glory for it. You see, God won't share his glory with anybody, but we sure like to suck up whatever glory we can get. That's why God has to put us through some stuff. That's why God has to make us wait. (laughs) I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but the truth is that God has to wear us out sometimes. I know, this is not fun. I'm just just preaching what's here. I don't don't get to add anything to it. God wears us out sometimes. You say, why does he have to wear us out? Because we have too much pride. We have too much ambition. We have too much ego. We we like to be used by him, but we like to get the glory too. And sometimes he's just got to flat wear us out. Abraham's 100 years old. 100-year-olds don't make babies. They don't make it down the driveway to the mailbox. Uh, There's some things I don't want to know about how this happened. (laughs) Isaac's conception is a miracle, and God did it as a miracle so that no man could get the glory for it. God's got to wear us out sometimes. You say, well, I'm tired of him wearing me out. Humble yourself. Rick, humble yourself. God, show me where there's pride. You know, pride is elusive. We think we're humble, but, but there's places where we're full of pride. We think we're not ambitious and we're not controlling. It's amazing. People, some of the most controlling people don't even know they're controlling. If you're married, just look straight ahead. I want you to make it home safe. But some of the most, oh, I'm not, I'm not proud. I'm not controlling. I'm not ambitious. Huh. God knows our hearts. He knows us better than we know ourselves. There's been times he's had to wear me out, and I'm sure he's trying to wear me out in other areas now. And you know what I say? God, you know what? Whatever you got to do in me. I know I'm a hot mess and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so backwards that, you know, I feel sorry for you. You've got to work with me, God. But you picked me, so have at it. Some of you are too proud to even entertain that thought. He's lucky to have me. You know, there's people that think that he's lucky to have me. Pastor, you're lucky I come to church here. I'm far too spiritual for most of the people here. Do you know we had people who wouldn't come to Bible studies because they said they were too spiritual for that? Yeah, they're not here anymore. <laughs> they're serving the devil somewhere else. I'm telling the truth, right? My wife's testifying up front. Too spiritual. We're beyond that. woo well, God's going to wear you out. I want to get a tub of kettle corn and Watch. What was Sarah's faith rooted in? It said she considered him faithful who had promised. Her faith was in God. It wasn't in Abraham. It wasn't in, you know, good health, or it wasn't in the doctors of the day, or it wasn't in the advice that she got from everybody around her. She considered him faithful who had promised. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. None of this makes sense to me, but I'm going to trust him. That's faith. This is God's conclusion of Sarah's journey of faith. She believed the promise and considered me faithful. So that's what God is looking for, us to believe him in the face of everything that smacks against what he said that we would believe him and not our own bodies, not our own minds, not our own culture. We would believe God. Now, all of us who've read the account of Sarah's journey of faith might listen to God's pronouncement of her at the end of the, the, the section here and think, God, you know, what are you talking about? She, she, she messed up a lot of stuff. She considered him faithful who had promised. That's what the word says. But if we look at the journey, there are a lot of glitches and missteps along the way, weren't there? <laughs> are there a lot of glitches and missteps in your life? Mine too doesn't disqualify us. Now, all of us who read the account think, You know, God, what are you talking about here? She really messed up. What about the Hagar idea? That was like one of the worst ideas of all times. That's in the top 10 worst ideas. Go sleep with my handmaid and she'll have babies for me. Ladies, how is that going to work out? I hear cats hissing in my head. He's mine. I had him. She's mine. You're not the I'm the, I'm the mother. And that's just how it worked out. Worst idea of all time. You say, how, but she considered him faithful who had promised. Yeah, well, what about that situation? What about Ishmael? Ishmael is a living memorial for Sarah. She had a look at him, a living memorial of her impulsiveness and a lack of faith. God, uh, you, you dropped the ball. I'm going to do this my way. She laughed at the angelic messenger. Then she you know, she denied it and, and they, they had to like hold her feet to the fire and that but you did laugh. Well, I didn't laugh. You did laugh. I don't wonder how long that conversation. I heard you laugh. I didn't laugh. I heard it was a little laugh, but I heard it. She got jealous and petty and catty with Hagar when Ishmael began to grow and, her, and Hagar became jealous and catty with her to the point where they couldn't live together. Poor Abraham. The Hagar thing sounded good at the time, didn't it, Abe? But what a bad idea. All well, the men look guilty now. So she drives Hagar away and Ishmael that wasn't her finest moment. That's not gracious. It wasn't Ishmael's fault that he was born. That was your idea. Now you're chasing him away? So there's a lot of There's a lot of inconsistencies and pitfalls and missteps there. But in the final analysis, God's conclusion about her is that she believed my promise and she trusted me. He looks past our flaws. He looks past our failures. He looks past our missteps and our darkest moments of the journey. And if we hold our faith to the end, he counts it towards us and he sees that, you know, though it was, you know, sketchy at moments, you held on to your faith. And that's got to be our testimony. We we didn't make all the right steps. We didn't make all the right choices. We didn't do all the right things. But we never abandoned our faith in God. Verse 12 brings into focus the other component of the miracle here that occurred. You know, it wasn't just Sarah's barren womb, but she also had a 100-year-old husband. You know, we're not talking about you know, a 25-year-old strapping young, no, we're talking about a 100-year-old shriveled up grouchy prune. (laughs) I just call it the way it is. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead. Well, I would rather be called a prune than good as dead. This is God's account here. One as good as dead as that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So God says, yeah, Abe, yeah, the father of many nations. By the time he fathered Isaac, he was as good as dead. And Sarah, his barren wife, who waited till she was well past the childbearing years, at 90, she was as good as dead. God took two dead things and brought life out of them. It's a miracle. What can God do with our dead things? What can God do with us when we're as good as dead, when we've come to the end of ourselves? Oh, I can do it, God. I can do it, God. I'll try harder. I'll study more. I'll read more scripture. I'll harness the purity. And God's like, I'm waiting for you to die. You're in my way. Your ego, your pride, your self, your ambition. Oh, nobody's coming back next Wednesday. Abe, you're as good as dead. Watch what I can do with dead things. Can these dry bones live? Yeah, they can live. Abe was 100 years old, and God brought Isaac from his loins and through his wife's womb just as he promised. Catch the truth in this statement. From one man as good as dead, God can take our dead things and produce life. But I want to be strong, God. I want to do exploits. I I want to be revered. I, I want to get some of the credit. He'll wear us out until we're dead. I'm trying at this point in my life to just lay down and die. I know it's funny, but it's spiritually wise. I'm not trying to do anything in my own strength anymore. For the first time in my life, I'm beginning to lose a little of my strength. I remember when I was out on the farm in Saskatchewan, we were ripping fence posts out of the ground with a tractor and a chain. And I was just, you know, I'm on the ground ripping one post out after another. My father-in-law says to me at the end of the day, that's the first time I ever saw you get tired. I'm sitting down there, I almost, I felt it. And God showed me something. He's like, I've given you strength, but you can't do things by your own strength. So as, you know, for men, as we begin to lose some of our strengths, it gives us a moment of pause to think, you know what, maybe I should try, stop trying to do everything in my own strength. Ladies, you're amazingly strong. You can do things. When I'm exhausted, my wife is still going like a choo-choo train. I don't know how she does it. I'm like, sit down. Stop watching this. Stop, stop, stop. I'm getting tired watching you. There's time when all of our strength wears out, and that's the moment where God can use us, where it's got to be him and not us. Is he trying to wear you out tonight? Is he trying to produce faith in you? Let him do it. It's amazing what he can do with our dead things. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you for Sarah, this amazing woman of God, your princess, who you birthed Isaac through, who gave birth to Jacob, and those 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Miracle after miracle you did for your people. We are grafted into Abraham through Jesus Christ. We're partakers of the vine through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the miraculous beginnings of our faith and of our people and of the church. God, help us to not do things in our own strength. And if we find you opposing us to wear us out, I pray we would be wise enough to humble ourselves and allow our faith to produce in us and through us what you have purposed rather than trying to do it in our own strength. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.